Hey friend, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Melinda Fuller. Melinda is the author of Obedience Over Hustle. She's on the show today helping us to surrender our striving hearts. I can't wait for you to tune in. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. There is so much in our lives that is beyond our control. And you say that that's good for you because you're an Enneagram one who loves to both plan and know the plan. But the path that you are walking is uncomfortable and unsure. And while that is hard for you and you're left with a lot of questions, there is one thing that you say that you can always count on. Would you tell us what that is? Oh, that's God for sure. (laughs) Yeah, right. I thought that would be your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's the knowledge that he sees when I can't and he knows what, where I lack and his plan for me and his vantage point for me is so much better than mine. And so even when life feels uncertain or when I'm unsure of what to do next or what my next season is going to look like or what have you, I know that he does. And so, um, his plan for me is good. And if I can trust in him, then, then that's all I need to do in that moment. The, the world, as we all know, it promises recognition and promotion if we hustle harder, but you say that there's a cost. What has the cost been for you? Oh, um, yeah. So many things in the beginning, um, my mental clarity and health for, for one, um, I was definitely one of those moms of little kids who was just exhausted trying to keep up with what I felt like the world was telling me I had to do. I was working part-time. I was starting the homeschool adventure kind of reluctantly. It wasn't going very well because when you work part-time and then try and school part-time, it it doesn't really, um, it doesn't, there's not enough hours in the day to make that happen. And then I was also trying to write at the same time. And I was just burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. I was just exhausted and feeling like society tells me that I had to do all of these things in order to give my kids this well-rounded childhood and to be a good wife and to be a good Christian woman in the church. And so I think the idea of hustle costs us our our mental health and clarity. I think it often affects our sleep and those two things combined affect our physical health and, and how we, um, just how we feel about ourselves and how we go throughout the day and our energy levels. And, um, and I think it also affects our relationships, you know, um, the idea of workaholism Mm -hmm. is that I'm achieving a goal with a, but there's a cost, there's a sacrifice that is attached to it. And I think a lot of times we end up sacrificing ourselves and all those things I just mentioned, as well as the relationship in our lives, you know, our marriages, our friendships, our, our kids, because they, um, they surface almost as a distraction to the thing that we are working towards. And, um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of things that um, unintentionally we end up sacrificing and end up being a big cost for us when we give in to this pressure to just hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And, and you go further to say that the truth is, is that we seldom feel as though we can stop this chase, even though we know this, we, we have a hard time stopping. So, so how would you suggest that we stop striving? Yeah, I think the striving piece is a result of, you know, an insecurity. If, if I do all of these things, then my life will feel more significant. Therefore I will feel more significant. Um, especially true in the Christian world. There's a lot of well-intentioned people doing really great things for the Lord in an attempt to feel like they're, they're doing good or appearing good to other people. And the reality is there's a lot of those things. God hasn't asked us to actually do any of that. And our significance isn't tied to any of those things. Like God sees me as significant because I'm his and, and that's it. And so Um, stopping the striving is, uh, it's hard. It's hard to get off that hamster wheel of, you know, keeping up and feeling like I'm missing out if I'm not doing all, all the things all the time. And I think it comes back to really being able to know the voice of the Lord for ourselves, because what he's asking me to do in my season of my life with, my family dynamics and my budget and my work situation or career situation, all of those things is different than my best friend or the woman living next door to me. And I think that when we are able to hone in on what is God calling me to do right now in this moment of my life, it makes it very easy to say no to the other things because we know what we've been, we know what he's asking us to say yes to. And so um, I can say no to this opportunity at my church when it comes up or say no to putting my kids in another activity or another neighborhood, um, you know, event or whatever it is. I can power down from work at the end of the day because I know that I've said yes to family dinners at the table with my children. And that's the most important thing. So I think when we're able to clarify what those most important things are, because God isn't asking us to do, you know, a hundred different things. He's usually only asking us to do a couple because he knows that that's all we have the room and space in our life to do. When we say yes to those things, um, it makes the striving in all of the other areas. It kind of falls to the wayside. Well, so you touched on this a little bit, but I wonder if you have anything else to say on it. How do we let go? I feel like we have this um, idea that busyness equals significance, but, but it really is not true. So how do we let go of this notion? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, ask anybody today and what is, when you ask them the question, how are you doing today? Or how have you been? It's not, I've been well, or this great thing is happening. It's I'm busy. Like almost (laughs) more often than not, that's the, that's the response. And yet when we look at the life of Jesus, like he never says, Oh, I'm so busy. And he was, but he wasn't like, he does, he doesn't call us to a busy life. He calls us to a life of prayer. He calls us to a life of service. He calls us to a life of like connection with him and connection to the people around us and using and stewarding our gifts well, but he never calls us to come and be busy. Actually, what he says is come and take my yoke and, and rest. And when you come to me, then you'll find rest. And so, um, I think busyness has almost become like our artificial significance. Like the more busy I am and the more productive that I look, Um, 
I'm more successful in the eyes of the world. And that is not, when I read the gospels, that is not how Jesus lived. Like he wasn't um, trying to appear more busy. And when he was in these seasons of, you know, preaching to the 5,000 and healing all these people and doing all these miraculous things, the very next thing that he does is he pulls away. And he takes his disciples and he gets away. He goes to Capernaum, which is where he, his family lived. And that was like his getaway place. And he just stole away for time alone with his family, with the people that would refuel him. He went to the garden. He got up early. He spent time with his father. And so he was in this constant place of like pulling back from the busyness and pulling back from all of the things that you know, the, the people of that day were expecting him to do, which was teach and preach and do the miraculous. And he got away and he found rest. And so I think the antidote for this busyness that we just find ourselves so caught up in is the rest and is, you know, intentionally taking time to connect with the Lord. And I think that's what God intended when he told us, um, you know, honor the seventh, the, the Sabbath day and, um, and make that part of our practice, our daily or our, you know, our lifestyle practice. Wow. That is really good. I sort of, I'm like, can we camp out there for a little longer? Because it just makes me yeah. want to exhale. <laughs> you know, I think that is such a good reminder. And, you know, we are, we're to live like Jesus lived and he, you're exactly right. I've never even thought of that. He never told us to be busy. And, but, you know, in your book, you actually have written a book called Obedience Over Hustle, where you explore these biblical um, narratives. And so you say, like, throughout Scripture, we encounter other individuals who had to face the hard reality that their dreams and timelines were not God's best plan. So I'm interested to hear how have you also experienced this hard reality in your own life? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I talk about in the book is just that, you know, obedience is to the Lord is, um, there's many facets to that, right? Like we can obey God, but sent, what tends to happen is we want to push God's hand and make our timeline be the timeline mm -hmm. instead of honoring the fact that, Hey, maybe God knows better than we do. Right, maybe. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like what a really good example student and um, a mentor teacher friend of mine said, you know, Melinda, like God's plan is going to unfold in your life in several different ways over the course of your life. And as you get older, you'll, you'll start to see the thread. And the example that she gave me was, you know, maybe God's calling you to be a teacher. And when you're young, that only has like one box that it fits in. And it's me get, going through college, getting my teaching credentials, and then standing in front of a room of students, whatever age, teaching a subject. And she's like, the reality is you can teach people at all different ages and stages of your life a variety of different things. You don't need a credential to do that. And she's like, maybe that's mentoring students. And so as um, like teaching is one of the things that I feel called to or feel like God's gifted me with. And so I look over my life now and I see where I've been a youth pastor and I see where I'm currently homeschooling my own children. And I see where I've taught online classes and I see where I'm teaching people through social media and podcasts and all the different interviews and the events that I get to go and speak at. Like those are all teaching opportunities 
And it doesn't at, at all look at the box of, I went to college, I did this thing. And so that's the only way that God can use this gift that he's given me. And so, um, I think that, um, it's really great to have dreams. I think it's really great for us to, um, dream with God and ask him like, okay, what, what is the big thing that you want me to do? And then as, as eagerly as we come to him with those questions also come with open hands and say, okay, God, now, however you want that to unfold in my life and however you want that to happen in whatever time frame, And like one of the examples I give in the book is, um, is Joseph who 17 years old and he has this massive dream, but the reality is God has to take him through several decades of living and, character refinement and maybe being like taken down a couple notches and learning some humility and learning what serving looks like. And, and all of those life lessons that I think we want to skim over when we're younger, you know, when we're 17 or when we're in our early twenties and thirties and, and we want to like get to the, the fruit and, and the big dream And I just have to believe that, um, God, you know, God did all that because he knew that if he took Joseph at 17 and made him second in command in Egypt, like he probably would have messed that up a little bit. And I think that that's pretty true for our lives as well. Like if God gave us the whole picture, when he gives us the glimpse of the dream, um, we would probably rush off and try to accomplish it in our own way and in our own timing. And that, as we see in scripture over and over, like when humans try to do God's plan in our own way, in our own timing, always ends up disastrous. Mm -hmm. We end up hurting people. We end up ruining relationships. Like I just think of Abraham and Sarah and God gives them this dream for a child in the future. And what, what do they do? Introduce them like the servant, Hagar. And now there is like this other child and there's this animosity and within their family. And I'm like, this is, you know, centuries later, we are, we still see the fallout of that one relationship and like what, and God can redeem all of that. You know, I will say disclaimer, God can redeem all of those things, but like God's best plan was always Isaac. Mm -hmm. And And so I think we get really um, caught up in like fulfilling the dream or God's purpose for us or whatever. And, and, and all of that could be great, but the right thing at the wrong time is often the wrong thing for us. Mm, Yeah. Oh, that is all so good. Um, Well, so you also encourage your readers to respond to the questions that God asks each of us, which are, will you trust me? And will you do what I'm asking you to do? So this is obedience. Yeah. Uh, so so how, how do we learn to trust God, I guess, first? Yeah. Um, I think it's like anything else. It's one step at a time. Um, the analogy that I give um, in the book is that, you know, somebody who wants to skydive doesn't like show up and on day one go up in the plane for the first time and then just get kicked out of the plane <laughs> at 20,000 feet yeah. by themselves right? They learn, they have to go through some sort of training on the ground. They learn what all the equipment is. They learn what to do when they get up there. And then 
when you go up and jump for the first time, you jump with somebody strapped to your back. And so there's like this fail safe. Like if I get up there and totally freak out, I know that there's an experienced professional who's going to have enough common sense to pull the cord and make sure that I land safely. And then, and, and there's pushing you out the plane. Like if you freak out, then you freak out. You might not get your money back, but they're not going to force <laughs> you to do it. And I yeah. think, you know, when I was a kid, I remember somebody saying, you know, God is a gentleman. And so he's not going to force you into doing something like that's what free will is. And he gives us those choices. And, and so I think like our faith walk with the Lord is so much just like building any other muscle in our life, whether that's muscle memory or that's like physically like stressing our muscles and eating protein and growing and becoming more like strong physically. Um, it's a little bit at a time. And so like when God asked me to quit my job and stay at home with my kids and focus on my family and homeschooling my kids and sharpening my skills as a writer um, and mathematically that made no sense at all. Like we just increased our expenses. Like for me to lose my income would have been a hit to our, um, our budget every month. God asked me to do it. And it's because I had been walking with him and I'd been saying yes to like in other areas up until that moment. And so even though it was a big leap of faith, it wasn't, as though I was waking up on the first day of becoming a new Christian and God was asking me to do this, you know, enormous thing. And, um, I always tell people, you know, God's probably not asking you to quit your job. Like that is my journey. And we're each on our own journey with the Lord. And what he asks one of us to do might be really significant. Well, to the next person, it might not be, you know, my, like one example, like my financial gift or a sacrifice that I make to the Lord might look very different than somebody who has two executive incomes and no children at home. And so, um, I think that, um, hearing the voice of the Lord and walking with him day to day is how we go from, um, wow, that's a giant thing. And I hope the Lord never asked me to do that to a place where we can say, okay, God, like, all right, what's the next thing that you've got for me? And doing so with excitement and anticipation, knowing that he's with me and that I'm on a journey with him and that he's, he's a gentleman and he's not going to ask me to do anything like jump out of a plane without a parachute on my back. <laughs> well, that segues really well to my next question is about fear. <laughs> so what, yeah. Oh what yeah. God fear <laughs> asked you to do, but fear stopped you from doing it. And how do you, or I guess you overcame that fear is a better way to, to, I'd, I'd rather hear that, I guess both. And how do you suggest yeah. that yeah. we overcome fear to do what God is calling us to do as well? Yeah. Um, I am a big fan of journaling, obviously writer. Um, but I think that a lot of the times God asks us to do things and if we don't do them, he tends to circle us back to that. And so I tell people often when they come to me and they're looking for advice, like I just can't hear the voice of the Lord. And one of the first things I ask is, well, what was the last thing that he asked you to do? And did you do it? Because 
if you didn't, then you need to go back to that thing and you need to complete that thing. And for me, writing my book, um, I never set out to write a book. That was always my dream. Like as a child, I wanted to be an author. And so I knew it was something that I wanted to do. But uh, writing about obedience is not necessarily the <laughs> way to become a giant author or super successful in the world's way. And so I probably would have picked a different topic to write about. Um, but I could not, I could not get away from this idea and we lived through this. Um, the book is really a lot of our life. Um, and what we've learned in walking with the Lord. And so I wrote about obedience for many months, probably a year before I really got serious and started writing a manuscript. Mm -hmm. And we had just moved to a new city and my husband, sweet man that he is just said, you know, this has always been your dream and you have time to do this right now. And I don't think God's going to honor anything else that you put your hand to until you do that, until you actually do this thing. And for me, the personal victory of having a traditionally published book, my first one is that getting is getting over the insecurity of well. I don't, I never finished college. I don't have a journalism degree. I have absolutely no um, background in publishing. I'm not the most eloquent writer. Like there are several other people who can do this topic much more justice than I can. And I have a small platform, which a lot of people were so kind as to point out to me when, <laughs> when I tried to um, market it. Um, and so getting over all of those things was actually harder for me than sitting down to write, yeah. you know, a 20 chapter book. And like the answer to my last question, it's just one day at a time and one decision at a time. And I mean, my book has been out for um, uh, six months now at this point, And I'm, I still have days where I feel insignificant. And I feel like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not a very good writer. And so it's, um, it's daily coming back to the Lord and reminding myself of what the Lord has said to me. And that's why journaling is so important. Like what has God, what does God say to me? What are the truths that I know? What is he called me to whether 10 people read my book or 10,000 people read my book? Like the obedience for me was writing the words that I feel that God asked me to write. And so when fear comes or and doubt and discouragement and all of those insecurities, it's going back to what does God say about me? And when I write those things down, it's really easy to come back and see it in ink and know that, okay, this, this wasn't me trying to make a great name for myself and writing a book. This was God giving me a message that was literally going to explode inside my heart unless I got it out. And then... The other part of overcoming fear is making sure that you have a good community of people that are in your life, whether that's in, in your day-to-day -day life is the best. And then also 
I mean, thanks to the internet, we can have friends in all places who speak into our lives and who speak the truth to us. And so I have a handful of writer friends who, on the worst of my worst days, I just send out the SOS text and I'm like, hey, I need prayer. This is what I'm feel like I'm fighting against and it's, I feel really discouraged and I'm in the dark swirly place and please speak live to me. And so, you know, instantly there are text messages that come in, um, that are full of prayers of hope and encouragement. And Melinda, this is where you've come from. Like, don't forget where you've come from. And this is what God's called you to. And just speaking out, um, affirmations and like prophetic words over my life that I've heard before, but we, we need to be reminded of things. And so having friends in your life who can do that for you is one of the best things to combat the fear because it will come. Mm -hmm. Um, we can only be so strong on our own for so long and having people in our lives who can speak the truth to us and pray with us is so important. Well, you, you know, you sort of just mentioned that you felt unqualified or sort of insecure about your, Oh, so, for so sure. Would you, would you talk a little bit more about that? You know, in, I guess in your book, you touch on sometimes we sidestep God's leading and don't obey because we either feel qualified or we feel, or we, I guess we didn't feel qualified or we felt overqualified. So uh, what would you say to the woman who may be sort of sidestepping now because of those reasons? Um, I would reiterate what I just said. If God's asked you to do something and you haven't done it, he's going to circle you back to it and you won't be able to get away. Um, case in point, yeah. Jonah in the Bible. <laughs> right. um, and, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about how if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's sin. And so avoiding when God has asked us to do something, that's disobedience. And so it doesn't matter whether that thing is get off social media for one day a week or delete your accounts or get on the floor and play Legos with your kids or get serious about your health or start tithing or start observing Sabbath or start a business or quit your job or go back to school. It doesn't matter what it is. I think we tend to put obedience to the Lord in like these big boxes. Um, where should I go to college? Whom should I marry? Should I get this degree? Should I take this job? Should I move my family to the city? Um, should we adopt this child? Should we stop having kids? And we kind of assume that that's all that God cares about. And the reality is that he cares about mm -hmm. everything, every single part of our life, our friendships, our relationships, our relationships with our mother-in-laws and the grouchy old lady who lives ne next door or across the street. He cares about our sex lives. He cares about our financials. He cares about how we parent our kids, what we say about ourselves in our mind, um, when nobody else can hear, he cares about all of those things. And so, um, it's, um, it's sometimes hard to think about obedience to God being in the, in the day to day in the simple things. But I think, um, I think when we get to the point where we realize that God wants to be involved in all the conversation and, and it's an ongoing conversation and it's called a daily walk with him. It's not just like a, a come and sit and have a moment with God and then kind of forget about him until the next day. Um, that's when like life starts to shift for us. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just so important to, to remember that um, 
what he's asking me to do is not what he's asking somebody else Mm -hmm. to do. And so for me, if I need to learn, like if I need to work on the things that I'm thinking about and making sure that what I'm speaking over myself or over other people, if that's the most important thing that the Lord is working with me on, then that's what I need to work on and not be bothered about growing my business, which is maybe what my neighbor or my best friend is working on. And, um, and if he's asked you to serve at your church and you might be like, a boardroom, like executive person. And maybe he's calling you to like serve really, really well for a season. And maybe that's like serving in kids ministry or serving in like a food ministry where there isn't any recognition, where nobody is going to applaud you or give you an award or pat you on the back, but he wants you to serve. And so it doesn't matter what he's asking us to do because if we don't do it, if we sidestep it, if we put it on the back burner, if we tackle it with reluctance, that's still disobedience. And what he's after is always our heart, a heart that says, God, no matter what you're asking me to do, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to step into it like with excitement, um, knowing that what you're calling me to is for my good. Well, so, you know, often when we, we feel like we've heard the Lord's voice, which I, I, if you'll touch on that first, how do we identify God's voice? But in the midst of that, I feel like sometimes we are, we are listening to the voices of the world. And, and in that it's the, you know, like if we say, God, I think I'm hearing you in this, but then, you know, maybe your husband says no, or your kids or your friends, like, how do we stop allowing the response of others dictate? whether or not we should be obedient to God. And then how do we differentiate and try to tune into God's voice rather than all these other voices we're hearing? That was a really loaded question. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good one though. And I think it's a question that gets asked a lot because especially if, even if you've grown up in a church setting, it's not hearing the voice of the Lord and learning how to differentiate that from other people's voices. is not something that really gets talked about very much. Um, so it's a really good question. And I think it's the more time we spend with the Lord, the more we come to know his voice. And so it's the same as when I'm in a room with a hundred other moms, if I call my kids names, they know my voice because I've spent a decade spending, I've been with them for a day in and day out. They know my voice. They know my tone. They know that if I say their first and last name, (laughs) (laughs) that I'm really serious. Um, And it's the same with the Lord. You know, we can't expect to understand God's voice and know his plan for us if we're giving him, you know, an hour a week at church um, or if we're giving him five minutes before dinner or before bed. The more time we spend with him, the more we come to know his voice. And to to add to that, I would say God is never going to ask you to do something that contradicts with what he's already put in the Bible. So um, knowing the word and being in the word and knowing who the character of Jesus, especially like reading the gospels, knowing who Jesus was, what he was about, how he lived his life, that is our model. And so he's, God is not going to ask us to do something that contradicts what he's already put in his word. 
And so it's really important that we spend time with him in prayer, that we spend time reading his word, and that we are also, again, it's surrounding ourselves with people who are going to help us combat what the world is telling us to do. Um, and so that, whether that's a spouse or like spiritual leaders in, in some form, you know, some people might go to a, a giant church where there's hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people. And so the senior pastor at that church probably isn't aware of what you need guidance for. So you need to find people in your life, whether that's mentors or small group leaders or people who are maybe a season ahead of you in life who can pray with you and come alongside of you and give you advice and perspective when you need it and just wisdom. I think that's so, so important. And um, for me, this is always my um, like my litmus test for whether or not this what I feel like I'm supposed to do is from God or not. It's my sleep mm -hmm. because in Proverbs, it talks about how when the righteous lie down, um, they will have sleep. They'll have sweet sleep. And if I am in the midst of making a decision or about to start something new or whatever it is, if I am sleeping well at night, that means that my soul is rested and peaceful and even if what I'm about to do, like when I quit my job, it was super scary yeah. and, um, people didn't understand. And even like some of our friends and family and well-intentioned leaders were cautioning us about making such a big step because it wasn't the most financially sound, <laughs> um, decision, but my, both my husband and I just felt overwhelming peace about doing it. And so for us, when the peace comes, that's when we know, okay, this is a done deal. We're making this decision. We're going to step out, even if it's risky. And having people in your life who can pray with you until you both have peace, that's really important. My husband and I, very, very rarely have we arrived at a decision at different times, almost every time we're about to make a big life change or decision, um, we pray and we fast and we um, just spend time with the Lord until we both feel peace about it. And I think not rushing that, like waiting until you have that peace is really important. Mm, yeah. I, I love that about your husband, that he believes in you so much and that you have that unity. I, I meant to mention that earlier, but, um, so in your book, you, he's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a gift. What a gift. But so in your book, you say that when you exert your faith, you show others that they can too. And when you share your story oh, yeah. and point to God, others see what he's done. And when you, he asks you to move forward, often there are people he expects you to bring along so I also believe um, this wholeheartedly. What would you say about the power of one person's obedience? Oh, it's incredibly important. Um, just like one biblical example is Jonah. You know, when Jonah finally obeys the Lord and goes to Nineveh, the whole city is spared. Mm, yeah. And so I think that there are 
powerful moments in our life that we can look back on and say, this one decision shifted my life mm-hmm. in, in whatever, whatever it was. And I think that's why our testimony is so important. And that's why sharing our story is really powerful for people because it's, it's the, it's the positive version of like the me too campaign, right? Like, Oh, if that person can do that, then I can do that. Mm -hmm. If that person can walk out faith in that way, then so can I. And it's, um, yeah, I think God can use our obedience to impact people far beyond what we could ever even imagine. Mm -hmm. I love you. I love you bring up Jonah because I have a friend of mine that, you know, when I'm trying to make a decision, I'm like, I don't want to move in a direction that he doesn't want me to move. And my friend said, listen, if he needs to bring a big fish to swallow you up, on track he will you know and so I always think absolutely like, you were talking about him he'll circle back around and um anyway but but moving on to the next question you are also quoted to say in your book that God doesn't say come to me and do great things he just says follow so period right so so how would you suggest that we believe God's affection for us, regardless of our performance? Like in, instead of just, um, I don't know, not tying our, our worth with what we can accomplish. Right. At the end of the day, like, is God going to love us anymore if we are super productive? Yeah. Or if I sit all day long on the floor with my kids and read books and do puzzles and play with Legos. Um, God doesn't love me anymore if I feed one homeless person a meal or spend, you know, $100,000 and give it away so that, you know, tens of thousands of people overseas are fed and housed and clothed. Um, his love for us isn't dependent on what we do. And yeah, I think just knowing the gospels and knowing how Jesus lived, I love so much that when John the Baptist um, brings Jesus up out of the water and he baptizes him there in the Jordan and, you know, there's this voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I'm loved and, and whom I'm well pleased Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Mm. He hadn't healed. He hadn't healed anybody. The water turned to wine hadn't happened. He hadn't preached a message. He hadn't taught 5,000 people. He hadn't done anything. And yet God's pleasure was all over him. And I think that is such a powerful story for us in our day of, well, if I just do this, then, then God will love me more. And I, and really it's the insecurity piece that we talked about earlier. Like I am doing this, these things out of a need to feel validated, feel needing affirmation and recognition and all of those things. Instead of, I know that God loves me for who I am and what I accomplish in the day doesn't change that at all. That brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> it actually makes me pretty emotional. Actually, that is good news. That is good news. It is. It's the best news. It is the best, best, best news. So freeing. It's so freeing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so, yep. okay. So on sort of that topic, hustling helps us to feel productive, but sometimes you say that the best use of our time and energy is to wait, to be still, right. to trust and to rest. And you tell us to jump into the deep end of the grace pool and do a lap or two or three for me and believe that we are more than what we put our hand to, more than what we produce, and more than what we can get after. So would you talk for a moment about how grace has helped you to let go of the hustle? <laughs> yes. So I'm an Enneagram one, and I don't know if you do the Enneagram or if you talk about it, but hardcore planner, um, always wanting everything to be better. Yeah. And I am, and mostly that is an inward thing. I'm always wanting to be better in in whatever I'm doing. And I'm a super harsh critic of myself. And so grace, it was never a part of my vocabulary (laughs) (laughs) and ever, ever. And I didn't know how to extend it to myself. And because I couldn't do that, then I couldn't do it for other people. And so... I think really learning to rest in who God says I am aside from what I do was really important. And, um, our family has been on a journey of really learning to celebrate Sabbath well over the last couple of years. And really in the last six months, it's been even more of a, a intentional, like this is going to become part of our weekly rhythm practice. And I think doing that, forcing ourselves to slow down, forcing ourselves to shut out the noise of the world and really spend a day connecting with God and refueling ourselves has been helpful to, um, just learning how to be be still and to rest and to trust God. And I think, Um, I am hoping that Sabbath is making a comeback and not just Sabbath as in we go to church on Sunday and then we go on with the rest of our day, but true Sabbath, which is rest and stopping and not working and not working at all the other things that we don't get paid for, not just the nine to five, but true connection with the Lord and refueling and, um, yeah, just resting, um, it's, it's similar to the practice of tithing that God is able to do more with the smaller amount that I have left over after I tithe first than if I hoard everything mm-hmm. and just give him what I want. And I feel that Sabbath is equally uh, as important and, and it works the same way that when we give God one day a week to... Uh, refuel us, we are living from that day instead of clawing our way towards the weekend, exhausted and burned out. And we actually end up having more energy and more to give when we shut out everything else. And so for me, uh, the grace and the waiting and the resting, the Sabbath practice is very closely tied to that. And um, it has really helped me to let go of all the hustle and the idea that I'm going to be missing out if I'm not, you know, online and connected and on social media and working really, really hard seven days a week. Um, You know, God, God took a day to rest. Yeah. God. Like, so, so why do I think that I don't? Mm -hmm. 
And it doesn't matter to me what your job is or how many kids you have or what season of life. Obviously it looks different depending on the season of life that we're in, but, um, you, you can, you can take a day, you can take a day to rest and, and to stop and to shut out all the other stuff. And when we do that, I think our, our souls are better. Our minds are better. Our bodies are better. And I think that's the way God intended it for, for it to work. Me too. It's hard to do, but, but I agree with you. Well, so, so Mm -hmm. this season, I am asking all of my guests who has loved them well. So who first comes to mind for you? And then would you share how they loved you well? Oh, well, for sure. That's my husband. (laughs) Um, my husband believes in me and my dreams, I think more than I do most of the time. (laughs) He is definitely my biggest cheerleader. He's the one who reminds me of what God has spoken over me and what God's called me to do in my moments where I am like curled up in the fetal (laughs) position, crying, (laughs) feeling like as though nothing that I do matters, you know, um, he's the one who prays over me and believes for me and fights for me, um, on a spiritual level and just makes, has made time so that my dreams could become a reality. And I, I, you said earlier, that's such a gift and I, it's one that I recognize as a gift and I definitely do not take it for granted because I know that there are a lot of spouses who don't have Mm -hmm. that in their partner. And, um, yeah, I can't imagine how much harder that is. And so it is definitely a gift and it's something that we work hard on and, yeah, every day I'm, I'm thankful for my husband and the gift that God's given me in him. Yeah. Well, so how can listeners connect with you if they want to purchase this book or just read some of your, your writings on every day, but the Sabbath, (laughs) how can we keep in contact with you? Yeah. So, uh, obedience over hustle is available online, Amazon, obviously. And then, um, target, Lifeway, anywhere where book, Christian books are sold. And then I'm on Instagram for social media, melinda.fuller. And then my website is melinda.fuller or melindafuller.com. And that's where I post about where I'm going to be speaking or what's happening in my life. Um, and then I send out a monthly newsletter with just updates and what I've been working on. Our family is actually nomadic right now. So we are traveling full time and working from the road and schooling from the road. And so, uh, yeah, so you can get updates on where we're at and where we're headed next and what our adventures look like as well. So where are you now? I'm interested. I am currently in central Florida in the Orlando area. We've been in Florida since right before Christmas. We'll be here for until the, the later in the spring. Wow. How fun. Yeah. Talk yeah. About being obedient. Just like, we'll, we'll follow where you calling now. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Like it is a daily adventure. That's for well, sure. Well, <laughs> everybody's been quiet wherever you are. Is, is your, are you homeschooling now? Um, yeah, so we live in a 42 foot fifth wheel. So we have a separate bedroom for our kids and the kids have their own space 
And so my husband is probably working in another room and my kids are probably playing in the back room in their bedroom in the back. Uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I haven't heard a piece (laughs) out of anybody. Yay. (laughs) Well, Melinda, I'm, I'm so thankful that, um, God has connected us and that you were willing to be my Mm -hmm. guest today. And I'm thankful for your obedience because now it has helped me to want to be more obedient, um, and not live in such this state of hustle. And and I, and I said before the interview, I said, Oh, I need this interview so much because I'm hustling. And uh, Mm. as as evidenced by my tears earlier, um, it it did speak to my heart and I know it will to listeners as well. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so thrilled to know that you were encouraged. All right. God bless you, friend. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Melinda Fuller. I hope that you have realized that while God wants your obedience, that he loves you simply for who you are. I don't know about you, but that truth gives rest to my hurried heart. If you're interested in show notes from today's episode, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, or you can have them sent directly to your inbox by going to rachelkadams.com to subscribe to receive the show notes in my weekly love offering. If the Love Offering podcast has encouraged or inspired you, I would be honored if you would go to your favorite listening platform and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that more women can hear the Love Offering message. Next week, my guest is Cassandra Baker. She shares authentically about her perfectionistic, legalistic, and people-pleasing tendencies that resulted in disordered eating and how she overcame these behaviors. So until we chat then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.